myth, magic, medicine, and everything in between. Two doctors talking. Hi, welcome again to Myth, Magic, Medicine with me, Denise Bellamy here, the host. And my guest today is Sujin Lee, who is a physiatrist specializing in people with traumatic brain injury, stroke, etc., and also a coach who helps physicians with the trauma of medicine. <laughs> so maybe I'll let you speak because I appear to have some trouble today. <laughs> no, no, you're good. You're good. They're all correct. And then, you know, we chatted a little bit before we kind of talk about what I do. And, you know, I still practice 50% of the time in I'm as a core faculty for residency program. So I teach medical students and residents in I also mentor and coach um, early career, early to mid-career physicians who goes through the transition in their lives. Um, many of them are women physicians and especially physician moms because mm -hmm. we kind of uh, go into medicine thinking once we become an attending, everything is roses oh, yeah. and daisies and rainbows. But in reality, um, you know, we put on hold of a life part of it when we go through the medical training. And it's, and it's such a long training. It, it's a good it 10, 12 years that it's oh, yeah. taken out. So yeah, and you're a mother yourself, right? Yes. My kids are, fortunately, they're all grown up 23 and 21, but I went to medical school with the two young children. I, it's my oh. second career. I was a music major, music teacher before going to, uh, going into medicine. So I kind of experienced burnout or the demand or the challenges as a mom with the two mm -hmm. young children, what it feels like to be in a medicine field. I guess that helped me to not taking a full-time clinical practice when I finished my fellowship. I oh, felt so you, you went straight to a, a modified schedule so that you didn't... Yes, yes. Yeah. So during residency, I knew I had an interest in education and research. So I mm -hmm. got some grants um, during my residency and fellowship. So I was already practicing medicine like 50% of the time towards the end of a residency and throughout my spinal cord injury fellowship. So when I was finishing a fellowship, I knew I didn't want to go back to full-time clinical practice, partially because my passion for other things, you know, leadership and education. And I think the main thing was I kind of missed out a lot of time when my kids were young because I mm -hmm. was in medical school and residency. There's no choice going part-time no. at the time. Yeah. So when I was uh, becoming an attending, okay, there's a choice. I can do part-time medicine and then I can do something else that, you know, drives me having passion. At the time, it started with the research and mentoring. And um, because of my specialty, I work with a lot of patients who goes through significant transition. It's a trauma, physical, uh, physical trauma. And also they go through the emotional, psychological changes too which is kind of tied into the coaching that I do. Um, you know, life is a transition all the time. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's more dramatic. Sometimes it's a little more um, transient. And I felt that there are many people who are looking for those transitions and kind of feels a little bit lost where to start or where are the resources. Um, I think that's where my coaching part kind of a grew into when helping. when when somebody first comes to you a, a physician mm -hmm. are they coming to you when they've already decided okay this has got to change i need to to pivot 
or are they coming to you? Why am I so miserable in medicine? And they're not quite at the point of realizing that it isn't, it isn't everything. There's a life beyond. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, you know, when we start coaching or any kind of business, we attract many different people. And then the more I coaching, my niche gets a little bit narrower. So in the beginning, I had uh, some clients who felt like I'm really burnt out and I don't know what to do. Um, most of them were already taking time off because they just couldn't work anymore. So I, yeah, so they're already on the pause state. You know, I'm, I stopped practicing medicine last week or I stopped seeing mm -hmm. patient. I just couldn't go in and they're looking for something. Some clients, some physicians need a little bit more time until they can heal because, mm -hmm. you know, they have this emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. We used to worry and I'm sure people still worry about being away from medicine. Oh, I haven't practiced for three months. How will I explain this? this is <laughs> um, do, I, do you, are you seeing more acceptance of that? Not only from your clients, but do you think that the, the world of medicine is ready for, for seeing doctors as human beings who sometimes need a break? <laughs> you know what? Because I'm in the space uh, with the people, with the other physicians who are more accepting uh, mm -hmm. non-traditional way of a practicing medicine, either part-time or telemedicine or PPC, some, you know, a little bit less uh, popular way to practice medicine. I would say mm -hmm. alternative way of a practice in medicine. So I see more people are okay with doing something else. Maybe I'm biased because I'm in that space. But if I go into mainstream academic medicine, because I interact with a lot of academic physicians, it's still very um, having some hesitance about going part-time. But if you look at the physicians who are in the academia for a long time, um, they have some type of a non-clinical time. It's either administration mm -hmm. time or they are in the leadership. So they practice maybe 70% of the practice and then have a 30% of a leadership role or administration time. So even their full-time, uh, they are not really 100% clinical. They kind of don't, uh, they're not aware of that. So mm -hmm. I think in the longevity of the career in academic medicine or practice, private practice, what eventually happens is they start with 100% clinical work and, you know, whatever the time frame is, five years out the practice or 10 years down the road, they tend to pick up some non-clinical side of it. Uh, for example, one of my friends, she has the private practice, her built her practice. So she's been doing like 100% clinical work for five years and six years. And then now her practice is doing well. So she hire other physicians and um, APPs and nurse practitioners. So she has a one day administration work. So mm -hmm. she wants to grow her practice a little bit more. So she, even she's 100%, she practiced seeing the patient about 80% of the time and she has a 20% protected time. So that's the combination. And mm -hmm. unlike the really traditional, because I'm from 40 years ago, I came out yeah. of med school, where it was full-time is full-time and then you add those other things on top. <laughs> <laughs> so so you can seriously way, burn out. Yeah. Yes, but that's the way that used to be. And we try not to go into that direction. Mm -hmm. So I had a conversation uh, with another colleague that full-time physician is too full-time for other jobs, I feel. Right. The yes, standard yes. or average working hours. hours. Are like a, yeah, 60 to 90 hours. If you look at other industry, full-time is 32 to 40 hours. Yeah. 
still, <laughs> I think that's the main thing that we kind of have a different mindset in terms of um, our full time is actually double time of other uh, workforce. That's something mm -hmm. that we kind of want to aware of it. Uh, we are so used to having 30 hours straight, 16 hours straight from the training. And I think where it starts is having reversing that you know, mm -hmm. thoughts that we have to work 60 hours a week, which is not really sustainable. If you have a family, even you're a single person, probably that's not the healthiest way to having longevity of the career. Yeah. Partially concur. They expect mm -hmm. us to work long hours and having all the responsibilities in the healthcare system and, you know, medical legal work and even the yeah. patients. The, mm -hmm. I see this in a other corporate work too. I had a a friend coach friend she was um coaching a, a big company and working so hard and then she actually had a mini stroke when she was like in her 20s mm -hmm. so she learned she needed to slow down but she continued until she was she became depressed and having major events in her life so it it happens other industry too but i think in healthcare physicians are the one I think we are the one have most of a compassion towards others. That's why we became but, but yeah. not your fellow physicians. Oh yeah. I, think, I truly think I I think it's a talisman thing. I think it's I can't admit it could happen to me. So it can't be yeah. happening to you because you're so much like me. Because there's mm. that physician label. I'm sure that's what it is. But. Yeah. So those needs to be changed. So yeah. I really like all the other work, including yourself, that try to change the perception or expectation of what physicians are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. I think that expectation was beyond what a human being, human being can do. Yeah. And it's about the time technology. We are human first being a physician, then without supporting being a good human or healthy human, how can we be a healthy physician? I think that's where we came to the recognizing this is what needs to be changed um you know the system change takes longer and it does a lot of but mm -hmm. some of it some of it has changed for the better there's sort of an yeah. attempt to cap hours there's sort of an attempt but and 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 there are more women in medical school now than there mm -hmm. ever were mm -hmm. <laughs> which is wonderful yes, but yeah i think really what we need to acknowledge is that we are humans before we are yeah. physicians even though it's yeah. hard to do that because you spend so long getting that physician label yes and then we were trained trained to think like a physician before human. And mm -hmm. I think some part is helpful to be a successful and very good at what we do because we take care of, a, we deal with a life and death situation. Sometimes we have to be really perfect or wants to be, you know, perfect, close enough right. to be perfect, not missing. But, and then, but the problem is we carry that to other aspects of our lives, yeah. which is impossible. Mm -hmm. There's also the... Um... The residual that you, when you're dealing with a track and everybody that comes to, well, almost everybody that comes to the emergency room or, or to the physician in an emergency situation yeah. is yeah. traumatized. And mm -hmm. it is a tragedy, maybe a, a, a small and recuperable one, but in, in the line of work that you're in, often it's a permanent change that's happened. Oh, yeah. And it is, and yeah. it is a tragedy, no matter how old they are. And mm -hmm. so, but you can't sit there and cry with them because you've got work to do. You can't help them if you're going to do that. So you're carrying that with you. Plus all the stuff that's happening in your, with, with, with what's all, you know, what is all happening in your own life as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think that that is a lot of, of the, I think that's the tremendous value of having a coach who has walked that walk before and understands what you're saying. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, we're trying, what we're doing here is we're trying to prevent, if it's possible, in guiding the people who need uh, transition, transformation, a little bit easier way, a little bit faster, because many of us kind of struggled. Like, what do we do now? We don't know what to right. do. But, mm -hmm. but what I mean is if you, if you find a coach earlier in your career, mm -hmm. so it's a flow rather than a hard stop and change direction. Yeah. You want, yeah. you want natural progression of your career, really busy, crazy hours. You can only sustain it for so long and then yeah. have something that feels natural where mm -hmm. all of that experience is going to inform what you're doing next. Yeah. It doesn't make it less valuable. Just because no, you're not no. running all over it in an emergency room doesn't mean that mm -hmm. the research is less important. It's just no, no. a different way and, of working. Yeah, and I think uh, one thing that we're not aware, many young physicians, or we never learned during our medical education, is the career meant to change throughout our lifetime. It is yes. meant to change. But what the fantasy we have is once we finish um, training is like, this is going to be my next 20 years, 30 years and 40 years. And after a couple of years later, five years or seven years, there's a seven year itch. I'm like, wait, this is not what I signed up for. The, the life is different. My practice is different. Wait, mm -hmm. what's wrong with me? This is supposed to be lifetime work, but I don't enjoy it anymore. And mm -hmm. they think something wrong with them which is not true, but we were never told that will come or that's okay to feel that way. Or they jump off. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, this this administration is horrible. Let me go find another one. Oh, they're horrible too. <laughs> I'm going to go find another one. <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, some people get lucky. So you got a little yes. better one. So yeah. I wouldn't say that's not the right way. Having awareness of what's exactly going on inside of us, and mm -hmm. it's okay to desire for changes. It's okay to have a life outside of the medicine, and you know, especially female uh, physicians, if they have children, that becomes the priority. My patient is not my priority anymore. Sometimes at home, my kids are priority, and that's perfectly fine. But when you see the patient in the working environment, yes, your patient is your priority. But yeah. when you're done with your work, you have to be able to turn off. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. So do you, do you coach people at the earlier stage of their career? Like how about medical students and residents? Uh, residents, I coach them unofficially because I work with the residents all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm a core faculty. So all my clinical service have residents. So at a time, I usually have two to three residents with me in different um, roles. Um, mm -hmm. So, and then because I'm a core faculty, I do like a routine mentorship and evaluation. And when I see some uh, residents kind of struggling in, in their performance or their life, then I kind of bring in the concept of a coaching. So do a little bit more than just a simple mentorship. Medical students, I'm a, a mentor for the interest group for my medical school um, where my residency program is, but they're uh, I'm a little bit kind of one step further down because their their pathway is a little bit different. So I haven't had a chance to focus on the medical students, but I know some other coaches do. So I coach residents through my residency program, um, not with the program itself. It doesn't have a separate program, but I kind of coach it one-on-one -on -one basis. 
my clients are usually uh, who are already attendings. Um, mm-hmm. I have some clients early their phase about two to three years out and also have five to seven years out. Um, I tend to work with a little bit more younger, early to mid career physicians. I think that's when they try they started seeing that that something needs to be changed or something is different from what I expected. And they're kind of looking for what other people are doing. I think the first thing is, is it normal for me to feel that way? And a lot of people feel I'm not normal, something wrong with me. So that's where we start. And then the next thing is, it's okay to feel that way. Then we kind of try to figure out where do you want to go next? A lot of times we don't have that idea. Like what's next? Because we never thought there's going to be a next once you become attending. Mm -hmm. I remember, I don't know if it's really burnout, Mm. but it wasn't just me. I know as I got older in residency, I saw it in the the very junior doctors, excuse me, was that I I was almost, I wasn't suicidal. I was really depressed that Mm. first, like the third, fourth, fifth month of internship. Initially, it was mm. just like, oh, wow, yeah. I'm really a doctor. And then it was like, <laughs> this is it. It, w- it was just, it was just physical, mental overload. It was just all the time, no, no hour. Yeah. Intern- internships are hardest part, I believe, because, you know, the, the, the gap that you have, the learning curve that you have to pick up from yeah. finishing yeah. medical school right and then be, yeah, it's like a, <laughs> It's like almost vertical. I have to catch yeah. up. Otherwise, my patient's going to die on me <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. So the stress and expectation, the identity shift from medical student and being a full physician, it takes gradual change. So a lot of uh, new attendings say, wait, I have a question. Who do I ask? And then, yes. oh, I yes. am the attending. I have to make a decision. <laughs> we all have that moment. Like, where is the attending? And then you realize... Yeah wait, I am the attending, right. then say, what? No, it's not imposter syndrome. It's the first time no. you're doing something. It's yes. okay. <laughs> yes, it's okay. And, you know, internship is the one of the hardest time because mm-hmm. the physical demand and um, the cases you see are very dramatically difficult. you got to have, you know, having some difficult conversation with your patients mm-hmm. and their families. And I remember when... I didn't have a good outcome with my patient. I have to tell the family how to counsel those. As a young intern, like we don't have that much of a life experience. How am I expected to have an end-of-life discussion with the people who has a lot more life experience than I do? We, we learn very quickly, but the first couple times are definitely challenging. And we rarely have time or awareness of those things that used to be processed. You know, we have to go through our own process. I think there are a few programs, but very mm-hmm. few that have coaches within the medical school or, yeah. or counselors. Or, I mean, obviously there are a few nice attendings who will take some time and talk mm-hmm. to you if you're struggling. But I, I really feel that the system could do a lot better, could have a yeah. lot more support. Well, good thing is, I think we're going to that right direction. I think uh, a lot of uh, support and recognition comes from physician coaches. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see more studies coming out, more papers coming out. That's a good positive thing because academia definitely rely on scientific basis and research base. So those are good signs. And I really hope, you know, every residency program, every medical schools have the coaching program in uh, you know, in a long term, that's going to be one of the goal. And also all the healthcare system, you know, in a, without even residency or medical school, all the healthcare system has the access to the coaches 
mm-hmm. because still getting therapy is a you know it's looked up negative negatively yes exactly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you can get away with using the word coach <laughs> <laughs> yes yes yeah well and, i but mean I, obviously if somebody's truly having a, a major depression a coach is oh, not the yeah. right person it's you need yeah. you need to do it, but and we need to get over that stigma yes psychiatrist but, and therapist and then when you're looking for looking for the next direction next goals i think that's where the coach becomes more right. um, useful and helpful mm-hmm. so what is your research in like do you research in physiatry or do you do research into coaching um, I haven't done research in coaching. I think there's some talk about with other coaches, you know, doing surveys and whatnot. But my initial research as a resident was in my specialty, spinal cord injury. So I started actually at, with the animal research because mm-hmm. my institution has a very well-known uh, researchers. So I did some uh, mouse models and spinal cord injury. And then during my fellowship, I did a clinical research fellowship. That's when I did a uh, clinical research. And I think that's that led to me become a board member for a medical device startup. So I'm still mm-hmm. do some research work. Um, I'm a data safety monitor board for a startup company uh, developing a new device uh, to cure spinal cord injury. Well, cure, <laughs> improving the function in spinal cord injury. So that's my academic research. Um, and, you know, as a faculty, I still do. Uh, you know, abstract posters, uh, teaching residents how to present, how to write a good abstract and papers. Um, that's what I do academic research-wise. Um, but I definitely has a strong interest in looking into more coaching, how it, uh, you know, impacts the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, I'm more uh, focusing on the practical side of it, how I can help more clients who are looking for transitioning in because I still practice the medicine part-time and I have the side business or my passion projects in coaching Mm -hmm. and some other work, I kind of want to show this is possible. Uh, There are different ways you can practice the medicine and you don't have to burn out. And, you know, it is okay. Practice part-time doesn't mean that you're less of a doctor. I I think that's the main, uh, my passion and goals for now. How do how do clients find you? How do how do physicians find you other than word of mouth then? Like we're um, usually I I do a lot of uh, interaction through Facebook. It happens to be my platform, Facebook. I belong to many different groups that who are uh, for physicians looking for transition, either starting a business or finding a different job. Um, mm-hmm. So I usually comment. I usually kind of give some advice, share my experience, my clients' experience in terms of. Uh, explaining or, or showing what's possible and they usually message me so that's how we I usually start conversation and I also host webinar actually I having a mastermind coming master class coming in uh, end of May May 24th um, mm-hmm. I will be teaching how you can transition from full-time to part-time with a side business if that's the what you like to pursue um, so that you can achieve work-life balance through the part-time practice and with a side business. Has your advice to anybody ever been, I, I know I should, I should rephrase that because coaches aren't supposed to advise, right? We're supposed to <laughs> allow people to explore, to help guide yeah, them to explore. And help them, help them to find the answer within them. Mm-hmm. Does that answer sometimes turn out, no, I really need to get out of medicine? 
Uh, yes, I think so. I think so. But many people think they really need to leave medicine when they are severely burned out. Probably that's not the best place to make a decision because your brain doesn't work. It's working properly. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're already kind of tired and um, ill conditioned. And from that place, it's really hard to make a good decision. Um, so a lot of people come to me saying, I want to leave medicine. But when we explore more, it's not the practicing medicine itself. It's other things around it. And mm -hmm. many people actually decide to continue practice medicine. But I have seen some people actually make a complete transition to either going to non-clinical work in big companies or doing something else or become a uh, entrepreneur. That's another mm -hmm. thing that many people ended up doing. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. You have any other words of wisdom? <laughs> You must, um, you must send me your information on the webinar so that I can, your masterclass, so I can put okay, that in the show notes. Yeah. So, you know, I, what, I, what I'm working on with my clients or in our healthcare system for other physicians is whatever you decide to do, if you like the reason, if you have a good reason, it's okay to do it. It's okay to leave medicine. It's okay to practice part-time. It's okay to have a side business. Or it's okay to stay in the system that you are if that's what you decide to do. And many times we look for outside validation, looking at what other people do, worry about what other people is going to say. But what it really matters is this is my life. This is your life. Mm -hmm. And the best decision comes within you. And when you're well enough yes. to make the decision. Yes. 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 So it's okay to look for help. It's okay to go talk to therapist, go talk to coach. So highly encouraged. And I, I see some people thinking looking for help is a sign of weakness. No, it's not. Actually, the people who look for help are the ones that are brave and strong. They mm -hmm. acknowledge they need help and go for it. I think that's the real, true, um, authentic strength, actually, not a weakness. All right. So the information on how to contact Dr. Lee? <laughs> yes. So you can find me in my website. It's just my name, Sujin Lee, M-D, S-U-J-I-N-L-E-E-M-D.com. And um, I have a masterclass coming up. Join my mastermind, masterclass. Then, you know, we can talk about how it's possible. I show you three uh, key steps, how to make a transition from feeling exhausted and tired as a, you know, woman physician and find the fulfillment and flexibility in your clinical practice. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us at Myth Magic Medicine. If you have found this episode useful, you can apply for free CME credit through the link provided in the transcript. If you're not a medical professional, please remember, while we're physicians, we're not your physicians. So please consult with your own healthcare professional if you think something you have heard might apply to you or a loved one. Until next time, bye-bye.